welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. He's Tommy Hilkin. How you doing, Tom? Doing great, Don. Nothing like being your Ed McMahon. <laughs> it's always good. Always good. <laughs> always good. Always good. So uh, today we're going to do a deep dive and go inside the album. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Damn the Torpedoes. Part of what we're doing, this podcast is also working with a charity called Music for Mark. So let's talk about that a little bit, Tom. Hey, thanks, Don. And I really look forward to it. You know, we use the word iconic almost every week now, but this album is just tremendous. And for me, it brings back such great memories. I, I have to tell you, great time in our lives, great music. But I, yes, our foundation, which we wrap around this is called Music for Mark. And what it is, is we bring music to youth all around, especially in our local area. We bring music lessons as well as musical instruments to people who might need them. So it's much more than a podcast to us. We wrap it around our foundation, helping bring music to the world through kids. And, you know, what a great why. Why are we doing this? This is a great why for us. This is our purpose now is to bring music to the world. And we're doing it through musicformark.com. Take a look, check it out. I think you'll like what you see. Yeah, definitely stop by the website and check it out. And and we're going to be doing a lot more with that as we uh, as we roll along here and, and really hopefully grow it and, and make it into a great organization. Beautiful. So with Damn the Torpedoes, this is the third studio album by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And you see a lot of bands really kind of hit their stride on the third albums. I know that happened with Aerosmith with toys in the attic and then a bunch of others. And that's mm -hmm. what happened with Tom Petty and the heartbreakers. They had before this, they had a, a couple of albums where they had American girl and breakdown, some great songs, legendary songs great that songs. everybody knows, yep. but this damn the torpedoes album, it really came together with a lot of classic songs that are, are just rock and roll standards at this point. So what do you think when it comes down to it? Why third album? You know, and my thoughts on that one, you know, not only are you getting better at what you're doing, right? You know, performing, mm -hmm. songwriting. Sure. But uh, as we, I'm sure we're going to discuss as we go along, you start to attract different people into your life who can help you be better. And yeah. you'll notice that. Yeah, I think it's a combination of those things. I really do think the live playing really helps bands just get better the more it's like anything the more you do it the better you get at it yeah. you know you get into a zone where you really have some success and then you start to layer on that and say okay this is what works for us and it's going to be different with every band yeah. but they start to realize this is kind of our pocket where we fit and where where we're in that kind of groove we, we talk about that with the songs but i think it's also for a career for a band too you get into that pocket where you're like wow this is we're doing great stuff over and over again it's not the same every time but you you know you get in that pocket where you've had that experience of of continued success which is great yeah like what you said you get to the point where you say you know this is where we are this is who we are as a band yeah right where everybody finally starts to come together which is a pretty cool way of looking at it and the more you play together you get to learn each other yeah this is how it grows i love it right so the Heartbreakers will run down the, the members of the band. Obviously, it's Tom Petty as the front man and the, the kind of the lead songwriter. Also in the band is guitarist Mike Campbell, who had played with Petty previously in his previous band, uh, keyboardist Belmont Tench, drummer Stan Lynch, and also uh, bassist Ron Blair. So, you know, these guys all contribute in different ways. And, uh, you know, we've got some interesting stories, especially about Stan Lynch, who I think is really underrated as a, a really good drummer. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, the yeah. album the album came out in October of 1979. So, again, we're back in the uh, late 70s, uh, you know, kind of landscape for that year at the time. Billy Joel, 52nd Street was a huge album at the time. You know, rock and roll, but kind of more middle of the road, <laughs> you know, not not as as kind of grungy and dirty as as Tom Petty is a little swampy. He's a southern boy. And, you know, they got a little bit of that swagger to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you also had Breakfast in America from Supertramp, a huge, huge album at that time. I remember huge. back then you you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing no. Supertramp. Again, a little bit more of a middle of the road, right? Band. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know, as far as rock and roll goes, yeah. Like you know, Billy Joel, Supertramp, 
you know, more uh, poppy uh, than, you know, right. I don't, I don't, <laughs> to all my Billy Joel fans out there, I'm sorry I used the word poppy, but we'll go with that. <laughs> no, but that's, a, I think that's an accurate des- description. You know, uh, there was also the first Van Halen album, which was heavy and, uh, and loud. Uh, so a little bit different, you know, people could almost call it metal. I wouldn't really put Van Halen in, in metal personally, but, right. uh, and then there was Cheap Trick at Budokan, which for me personally at that time, that was a huge album as a kid. You know, that was something I listened to over and over and over again, just a, a huge, even though it was a live album, it really showcased that band's uh, skills. They came alive. It was so much better than the studio versions of those songs. Um, on the map. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and at the time there was a lot of disco still, and there was the new wave and punk were, were just coming around. So the, there was all this stuff going on around them. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were just a rock and roll band and they stayed right in that lane. They, did, they weren't playing to the times. They were, you know, their sound didn't change much from album to album. They just went ahead and played. And, you know, I think that's where you see that they kind of differentiated them, even though they weren't keeping up with the times, so to speak. Well, literally, they, as I mentioned earlier to you before we got on, this was a tremendous and a different time in music when you think about it. You just ne- mentioned everything, right? Some of the biggest, the, the um, you know, the English bands were still huge. You know, Clapton was huge. The Stones were huge. And you know, Tom Petty trying to find his way in where he is as an American band, right? And Joe Jackson was coming around. And like you had mentioned, punk was still alive more than ever. Right. But right now at that time you got to start thinking about new wave so everybody's going in this new direction and here tom petty is staying true to being a rock and roller right and that where you hear the biggest difference is all those new wave bands using lots of synthesizers tom petty belmont tench a lot of b3 hammond organ you know so old school sound with the, the keyboards and they didn't get into that whole kind of synth sound that was happening with some of the the new wave new wave bands yeah yeah overproduced albums a little bit yeah i I always (laughs) thought that the the new wave stuff i always thought was very produced um and you know i think again tom petty is just a straight ahead rock so the album sold uh almost three million copies which uh was a pretty good number at the time uh you know, the band was pretty solid as, as a unit, which was great. So uh, I think, you know, again, you come back to this third album, they kind of, they're, they're tight and they, the sound is there. They're really, really on point with, with this album. Oh, you know, I, w- I was just going to say with this album here where they were, it was, they didn't really know where they were. Tom Petty, I remember reading something in Rolling Stone one time that, you know, this was, <laughs> I don't know how to even put this, but I'll put it out there. This was a stoner band. I mean, they literally loved Tom Petty said all they would do was get together, get stoned and play music. Right. I'm not saying anything out of school. So this is where they were really discovered. They never wanted to change. But go ahead. Uh, Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, and it was it was just kind of yeah, it was just straight ahead rock and roll. And stoner was part of that at this time. Um, so, you know, they got some really good reviews at the, on this. People were saying that this was like the height of their, their songwriting. I don't think that was actually, I mean, you can't foresee the future because the, the album Wildflowers in 1994, I think that's the peak of Tom Petty and, mm. and the Heartbreakers. Um, but you know, still this was, was a very well received album by the, by the press at the time. Uh, it was big. The pain that went into this album. And I have to tell you, you can see it in some of the songs. You know, uh, Tom Petty was pissed off when he made this album. There is a lot of anger in it. Yeah. And you <laughs> definitely will see that in some of the songs. He, the, the interesting thing, and this, you know, and this album again was hugely popular at the time, but it only got to number two on the Billboard chart, stayed there for seven weeks, and was kept out of the top spot by Pink Floyd's The Wall, which, yeah. which just really dominated uh 1979 1980 yeah yeah you know you, you have you hit a wall <laughs> yeah you hit a wall right yeah. so yeah. but and the wall the wall is a double album with hit after hit after hit well you know high hit but you know great rock songs oh. um so it was really hard i remember there was a kid in my high school and he 
literally would walk around carrying his copy of the wall in you know in the hallways <laughs> so the cool kids come on yeah they you know it was something that was Look, very man. strong competition for them completely different type of music oh uh but you know the, the interesting thing is tom petty said hey i love pink floyd but i hated him that year <laughs> oh yeah i love that yeah. so they kept him off the top of the charts yeah um but it did go to number one in new zealand so Ah. The Kiwis, the Kiwis know their shit. <laughs> yeah, they probably had enough of Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Kiwis. So uh, a lot of great songs on this album. Classic rock and roll. Um, Don't Do Me Like That. Refugee. Here Comes My Girl. Even the Losers. And again, you know, we, we talked about uh, last week, we, we talked about the, the Rolling Stones album where it was almost a greatest hits album. And this again, you've got, you know, again, five songs that are really strong songs and top of their catalog. So, mm. yeah, you know, I, I always mention to you that the best part about you and I getting together and doing inside the album is getting inside the album. Right. So I'm getting I get to listen to them right over uh, and over again, over and over. But uh, I, I got to mention the song because like we did last week with the Stones, uh, the songs that most people don't hear are just so killer. And there's a song on this album called Louisiana Rain. Love it. That Yeah. Yeah. Just to me, it's like the song that should have been, you know, like it, but it just didn't. Just a yeah. great, great song. Yeah, definitely. I love Louisiana Rain. And interesting thing about that song, they didn't have it in their live set list for a long time. And then in the 2000s, they started bringing it back again. Mm. And people loved it. And, and, you uh, know, it's kind of a little bit more mellow song. We'll go into it a little bit more yep. as we get into the into the specific songs. But, um, you know, again, a, a great, great record. Yes. Um, so th when they were recording this, they hired uh, Patti Smith's engineer. That was because they loved Because the Night and the big sound that they got out of that. Uh, plus, Jimmy Iovine was the producer on uh, Damn the Torpedoes and also on, I think, on the Patti Smith record as well. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Iovine had started out as an engineer in New York, had done some work with Springsteen and then went to Patti Smith and, and worked on that album. And Because the Night is a Springsteen song. And so these guys, Jimmy Iovine and the engineer that they hired had worked together and they brought them in because they loved that sound on that Patti Smith record. And, you know, Patti Smith is a lot different than Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but yeah. they realized that that was a kind of sound they wanted to get big and, and be really kind of, you know, not in your face, but, you know, around you kind of yeah. is how I would describe it. And Petty got a lot from it was uh, Jimmy Iovine worked on Born to Run. Yeah. So when working on Born to Run, now Petty said it wasn't his type of music, but it was how it was put together in the studio. Right. Exactly. That made, you know, you got to realize Born to Run, and we're talking about an album that made Springsteen explode. So right. what went off in Petty's head was, you know, I need that kind of action that's going to make us explode. Yeah. And yeah. he, he loved the sound. He loved, you know, so when yeah. you get into the real detail of the sound of the, of the recordings and how they were done, um, you know, you can make a big difference just from switching out microphones and using different instruments and things like that. So having somebody with that expertise is really valuable on a record. Tom Petty, Tom Petty loved uh, Jimmy Iovine. He brought him, he brought him a couple samples of what they were going to be playing. And he said, Jimmy Iovine looked at him and said, guess what, fellas, we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Cause he knew he had something. He, you know, he was around rock and roll. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? So it's not a feeling. He looked right. at them and said, guess what, fellas. And but that's why Tom Petty loved them. Yeah. And the thing was, you know, so Iovine really was kind of just starting out at this point. I mean, he wasn't like what he is now. But mm -hmm. so when you hear that from this guy who's OK, he's got some experience, but not a ton. You wonder, OK, does Tom Petty really buy into that? I, I think he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. So the other interesting fact about this album was so Tom Petty is always his whole career battled record companies. And so they had a deal with one company, got bought out by MCA. Yeah. He didn't like that because he didn't have anything to do with it. Um, so he, you know, fought against them and ended up just declaring bankruptcy to get out of the record deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, a great story. Yep. 
his attitude with the record companies was they're going to play dirty. I'm going to play dirty. You know, Tom Petty for a, for a, you know, 120 pound guy, a skinny guy, he was pretty ballsy, you know, and, and didn't take uh, shit from anybody really. Yeah. The, the phrase he said that he noticed about people in rock and roll, Tom Petty and why they didn't want to be. And I, you know, I, I, I kind of like it when I read the story about him and, you know, and all the things I learned about Tom Petty, you know, he literally didn't want to be bought and sold by a record company because you look through the years, not only did the record company, they owned you, they owned your music, they owned everything. Yeah. So he was like, you know, something has, he was one of the first guys to step up and say, something has to happen here. Right. And that, and he took everything, like you said, he went as far as bankruptcy. Oh yeah. Say, like I got nothing for you. And it didn't stop there. Even on, I think it was hard promises. He threatened to change the name of the album to, I think, I forget what the price was at the time. It was like nine ninety nine, and they wanted to increase it to twelve. Yeah, and he he was going to name the album. I think it was nine ninety nine or whatever that price was. <laughs> I don't know the exact number, but he was basically saying, you know, screw you. You're not going to, you know, screw over my fans just so my you fans, can make more yeah. money. I'm yeah. in control here. This is my thing. So Perfect. it's good to see somebody who stands up for that because it can be scary when you're a musician. You feel like, oh, I'm lucky. I got a record contract. They're giving me a chance to be a rock star, but. In reality, they're nothing without your talent. So, yeah, that, that's the whole thing, you know. And I'm glad he did what he did. They said during the sessions that they would start to record him, and then they started to think that they felt uncomfortable that he uh, he actually had somebody hide the recordings, huh. which was <laughs> literally take them and hide them, hide so, the papers. <laughs> you know, that's how bad they felt recording for this company. You yeah, know, think about that. You're looking over your shoulder saying, where's my career? Where's, you know, this is my band, for God's sakes. Right. So he started to hide everything from the company, which is pretty That's interesting. Crazy. Way to look crazy. So the album also was, uh, it was also on Rolling Stone magazine's a list of the 500 greatest albums that was released in, in 2003. So that's yeah. uh, pretty impressive. Um, and like we said before, there were some already popular songs. They had Breakdown and American Girl from their first album. And then I Need to Know, which is another huge hit Great that was team. on the second album. Yeah. Uh, so they really came into this recording with a lot of momentum. Yeah. You know, when I grew up, <laughs> when I grew up, listen to me, when the old <laughs> guy here, you know, it was, you got FM radio was huge. You know, WNEW in New York, you know, was huge. Right. And. The, the whole breakthrough was to getting a song played. You know, if you got Scott Muni back in the day to play a song for you, yeah, you know, that was sure. huge. So FM radio was huge. So these songs were strictly, and I mean that, they were built for FM radio. They really were. They knew what they were doing to get them on FM radio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, even though you could say, okay, well, it's kind of not a system, but... Uh, I don't know. It's not like a template. Like it wasn't like just fill in the blanks, you no, know, no, no, even no. though it was, it was radio friendly, it was just right. great music. So yeah. it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like they were like just painting by numbers, but it just fit with what was going on and what people were into at the time. There was, there was no other place to go. I mean, yeah. when you think oh, yeah. you had to get on, you had to get on FM radio. So yeah. that's the difference between what we're talking about now and where you can release your music any way you want one song at a time. Yeah. Right. So these guys had to release albums. Uh, yeah, exactly. It wasn't right. Nowadays, everything's loosey goosey songs come out, EPs, all that stuff. It was just always yeah. albums back then. I had to. So uh, kind of back to Jimmy Iovine. So there was a little bit of stress between Iovine and Stan Lynch because Iovine was trying to get this sound that he had oh, in man. his head for the drums. So he's in there switching out mics, switching out drums and it just created a lot of <laughs> attention with stan lynch to at points where he would like storm out and i totally yep. get that because yep. this guy's a drummer he's a musician those drums are his instruments and he knows what sound he wants to get but there's the producer going in and changing his stuff it's like saying no don't play that guitar play this one over here but i like this one he's like yeah. well no you're gonna play this drum you know so that was part of the part of the issue with stan lynch i think he had a bit of a short fuse i'm sure um and he's had some tension over the years with, with tom petty but this really amplified that uh so that that made it a little bit challenging in the studio I heard somebody define them as an ornery band. 
Yeah, you know, <laughs> and they always well, it's that swag. They always had that swagger, that southern. Hey, you know, we don't care what you think. This is what yep. we're gonna do. Here's what we're playing. Take it or leave it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the songs. We'll start off with "Refugee," which starts off the album. Just absolute all-time great song. This song, they ended up doing uh, uh, over a hundred takes, which is crazy. And uh, Mike Campbell actually got kind of pissed off when they were recording it because they had done it. Some they did fifty takes, then they did eighty. Yeah. And one time, he's just walked into the studio, walked out of the studio, and he said, "I just can't do this anymore. It's painful." So he like left and left town for a couple days and went to go clear his head out. And then came back and they eventually found a take that was good and they finished that one. But in the end, over 100 takes for one song. And again, this comes back to the producer. This is Jimmy Iovine, you know, where he's 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 got this perfection and he's got this sound, sound in his mind and he wants to hear that. So he, you know, forces guys to go through and do it over and over and over again. I want to share something as a performer, as an artist. The more and more you do it, the less and less it gets. And that's why a lot of the older bands would get together and record live. Oh yeah. Right? Let, let's do this. Let's get this on tape. Let's jam, let's record it. Right. But they were taking this album to a newer level. And I truly believe it comes back to getting that FM sound. I really yeah. do. Well, I think you lose, you know, you lose the spontaneity of it, you know? Right. So, and there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it, you, you, especially with rock and roll, you don't want to put it in a box and lock it down into it should be A, B or C. You know, these guys, again, are super creative musicians and they're going with it. But after a while, it just wears off. And now you're just playing a song that doesn't really matter to you anymore, I think, sometimes. You know, we've both seen some great rock and roll through the years, you and I. You know, there's rock and roll and then there's money making rock and roll. And sure. it has to be, you know, if you're going to be a band who tours and gets yep. out there and wants to make not just a living, but, you know, killing it as an artist out there, right. you know, there's money making rock and roll, unfortunately. Right. And you can tell, you know, you can tell when they're just up there going through the motions and, you know, they're doing their stage act and they're, everything's the same night after night after night. Yep. Um, you know, there are very few bands that really do a lot of changing up of their set lists and things like that and play different songs. It's it's very rare to see a band that will go on tour and you can go see them in five different places and see five different set lists, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> I don't think Petty, I don't think they really did that, but it, it, there are a couple of bands that do that these days. Um, a lot of bands realize and think about it for them to continue going, doing what they're doing. They got to play the greatest hits. You know, we've seen some of the greats. We've seen probably all the greats and they all have to get their hits out there. It's like, you know, you're not going to go see Clapton and leave without hearing Layla. You know, it's, it's how rock and roll is and what people want to hear. So you give yeah. the people what they want. All right. So here I'm going to give you this is a crazy connection. OK, so go there's ahead. a connection to Refugee that is Mick Taylor from the Stones. Ah, <laughs> so uh mike campbell was you know listening and it was a, a dark uh, sound that he like it, the sound of, of refugees kind of a dark dangerous sound right it's got that edge the video mm -hmm. they show them uh you know in an alley and very you know very it's very <laughs> 80s if you see yeah it. there you go um but so uh mike campbell is listening to john male's version of oh pretty woman mm -hmm. which at the time featured a very young before he was in the Rolling Stones, Mick Taylor. And it was Mick Taylor's playing that was a real inf uh, real influence and inspiration for what Mike Campbell plays on Refugee. So, you know, sometimes you get these connections and they, you know, they just happen from either listening or, or experiencing another player. And you're like, wow, that's interesting. And then, you know, that becomes a, a, this song. You know, you mentioned Mike Campbell, and so we'll just throw it out here. You know, uh, when you make a list of guitar players, right, never comes to mind. Amazing. No, he's player. a great player, but he's not, you know, he's not an Eddie Van Halen or a Clapton or a Hendrix. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he's an amazing, amazing yeah, musician. Yeah. And those Very guys, hard. you know, the guys in the Heartbreakers have continued to play with other 
bands and other people and support them since oh, yeah. uh, since Tom Petty died. So oh, yeah. there's they're still active out there. Um, the interesting thing is though that Campbell, when he came in with the demos for Refugee, he played it for Tom Petty, and Tom Petty wrote the lyrics in ten minutes. Yeah. So it was a, again one of those songs that just came together quickly, flowed out of them. It was meant to be, and you know it happened. Kind of one. I'm just thinking. You know, is it is it their signature song, or is American Girl their signature I, song? I, you know, I think you could yeah. say either one. You know, yeah. and the yeah. interesting thing is that uh, Mike Campbell also said that uh, Refugee or American Girl it's everything they do gets compared to those two songs. So he said, it's, he said, it's an albatross, you know, it's kind of a tough thing to deal with, but on the oh. other, on the other hand, he said, it's a great problem to have, you know? Yeah, yeah I would say so you've got these classic songs that yeah. everybody knows and they compare everything you do to them. And thank God, you know, they set a standard, you know, and that's it. You know, you got to live up to your standards, but it keeps you fresh. It keeps you going. It keeps you writing great songs. It does. I think it challenges you, you know, so you, you really work. Cause I, you know, that you've got something, you've got a, a bar to get up to. Yeah. Jim Keltner came by one day and had a great idea for the track. And he added a, uh, the Samba shaker to the track. It's that. And it it helped add a little bit of swing to it so it, you know without it it sounded a little flat and stan lynch wasn't there at the time it might have been during nice. one of the <laughs> the unhappy uh minutes there but jim actually came in and, and people say that it made a big difference in the end recording yeah jim Calumet. this is a blast from the past yeah yeah so, uh so let's All talk right. about here comes my girl the next song on the album Mike Campbell said it's very similar, very similar to Refugee. Uh, they were both written in the same week. And he had some demos that he was playing for Tom and Tom liked those two. So uh, Here Comes My Girl was interesting because he had the chorus and Tom wasn't sure what to do with the verse. Kept trying to sing in different ways and wasn't happy with it. And he finally came across uh, this kind of half talking thing that he was doing. And that changed the song completely. Mm. So, you know, it made it come to life. And I, I think it kind of balances out the 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 kind of almost beautiful chorus of here comes my girl. But a lot of it is, hey, um ta ta da da ta ta ta. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, right, I right, right. It. Yeah. But again, you feel you hear that kind of swagger, you know, that that southern swagger comes through. Um but it's interesting how you know they'll try and sing it and then all of a sudden the answer is not singing <laughs> oh you know what you figure it out as you go hey that sounds great a lot of bands talk about that all the time you know what happens when you're creating right that's where the challenge was of doing it a hundred times doing it a hundred times isn't creating you right know what i'm saying it's doing it a hundred times right. but when you just it's like brainstorming, you know, when that idea hits, boom, go with it. Man, that sounds great. You know, I always think the one thing about the Beatles was they always did that. They got together and jammed and yeah. magic happened. I, I believe that's where the magic happens all the time, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. No matter when you're on stage or you play something a little differently and you hear it, what was that you did and you have a discussion? I love that part about rock and roll, man. And for me, I want more of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so the other thing, interesting thing is that um, when Mike Campbell was recording a lot of these demo tracks at home on a uh, four track cassette recorder, which were new things at the time, um, not like today where they could just open up their MacBook and, you know, my, my son <laughs> did an album where he recorded all the parts himself, but it's all on the computer. You know, he's playing yeah. the parts, but he records everything on the computer and then puts them together. It's amazing. So um, he has a simple four-track four recorder at home, and he records these things. And the demo for Here Comes My Girl had actually incorporated a drum loop from the intro to Walk This Way by Aerosmith. Nice. So again, you know, he's kind of like leaning into other songs that he liked and, and, and kind of incorporating part of those. And that didn't make it to the, you know, the final version of the song, but it, it's a bit of that, you know, a, a bit of that kind of cooperation between other music and his music and inspiration. Sampling before there was sampling. How about yeah, that? Exactly. Hey, right. Yeah, Ahead of the go. curve. Yeah. There you go. Nobody even knew about it. Okay. <laughs> hey, we're going to take this. We're going to put it on our album. 
Oh, yeah. Even George Harrison did that a couple of times. But go oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. I digress. <laughs> so Even the Losers, another great classic song. And, you know, this this the idea for this came up uh, came around when Tom Petty went back to his hometown in Gainesville, Florida, and he reconnect, reconnected with one of his old friends. So they went to uh, uh, another friend's party and took LSD. And this girl, Cindy, uh, who was the object of, of Tom Petty's crush in, in junior uh -huh. high school years ago, was there at the party. So uh, when he was in school, this girl didn't pay any attention to him, right? But he'd there gone back go. and now they've got, you know, a couple of records under their belt. And um, he had a little fame. And so now, of course, Cindy wanted to talk to Tom Petty. Sure. So... Uh, <laughs> Did I mention I was a rock star, Cindy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they, you know, they end, they end up hooking up and, um, you know, he had this epiphany and he's like, oh, great idea for a song. And then that, that relationship was just, you know, limited to that one. It was a one night stand. They were all high on, on LSD. And so th it was the impetus for him recording even the losers. He's the loser, you know, he's yeah. the underdog who got lucky sometimes. So you, you hear that a lot in Tom Petty's songs. There's a lot of kind of underdog. They're always pulling for the underdog, that, that person who, you know, may not be the obvious choice for what girls or success or whatever. Um, but it's interesting that that all came together and then, um, you know, they created this song out of it. Most of this album has a lot to do with how Tom Petty was feeling about himself. And, you know, I, I said earlier, he had a lot of pain with this album because of the record deal and what yeah. was going on with that. So yeah, he was sure. really, he was literally taking that anger to the studio and didn't yeah. want to hear anything from anybody. Here's how we're doing it. And listen, you know, it's a gem. It worked out perfectly. So did you ever notice at the beginning of even the losers, there's uh a, a woman's voice that says it's just the normal noises in here <laughs> did you ever hear that it's very faint in the background but if you when you start it up you hear that oh, and yeah. what that is is that's the voice of mike campbell's wife uh he was doing a demo demo recording at the time and uh it was in his house and he was apparently complaining to her about the noise that his the washing machine was making and <laughs> so what she said was hey it's just the normal noises in here like get off my back but they loved that so they kept it on the, they put it on the beginning of the song that's uh, great <laughs> little tidbit for you folks yeah all right now i gotta listen to it i didn't i didn't hear it <laughs> So uh, Campbell also, or they said that they had uh, the tune for the chorus and they had the chords and they went ahead to cut the song, but they had no idea what Tom was going to sing when he, when he got to that point, when the chorus came up. Uh, so he had the tune for it, but they didn't actually have the words. And he just like divine intervention. He's Tom said it just came out. Even the losers get lucky sometimes. So it wasn't even like a, even after all that, the, the thing with Cindy and the hookup and everything, it wasn't that clear as to what that song was going to be until he actually started playing it, you know, and they started recording it. So yeah. sometimes those things just flow and come out of them. And, and that's awesome to hear when it's such a, a great, happy surprise. And you think about it, right? It's just an idea. It comes to play. What do you think about this? And that, again, bringing it back to uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you know, the one thing for sure is all the controversy they had recording this album was somebody was trying to put them and bring them together and keep them together, playing different parts. And they looked up and just said, no, no, here's how we do it. We play together. We play together as a band. Right. right? So a lot of this was going on when they were recording. Yeah. And, you know, you can really I, I love when bands do record live and play and and record together because it's such a better feel, I think. Absolutely. So let's talk about Shadow of a Doubt, which is really, I think, kind of the first rocker, which it, it's got that swagger we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and it really picks up the pace and it gives you that full throttle rock sound. Because Refugee is kind of mid-tempo. Here Comes My Girl is a little laid back. Even The Losers isn't really kind of boom, 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 boom. It's very bum, bum, bum. You know, and, and <laughs> Shadow of a Doubt comes out and just bam, smacks you in the face. 
and you know it's it's one of those songs that over the years they become like their swagger song on stage where they really uh you know plow through it and and really it's a real rocker yeah get the crowd turned on and everybody's got to have one and this oh, is yeah. it yeah yeah oh, yeah for sure how about century city so this song was inspired by the legal battle which we've been talking about with mca uh, and so when when the Heartbreakers went to Los Angeles, like right away, they realized they loved L.A. They became an L.A. band, even though they're all from Florida or most of them Funny. are from Florida. So you think, OK, these are, the, you know, the kind of, I wouldn't say hillbillies, but they were pretty, you know, southern boys, you know. So um, to go and embrace Los Angeles like that, I think, is a big change. Uh, but Century City is the place in Los Angeles where it's a lot of sleek law offices and big buildings. And so it's like an acre of skyscrapers, really. And it's very modern or it was very modern looking at the time. And uh, again, it's all these lawyer offices. And Tom Petty said, you know, they take you up in these big glass conference rooms and he just hated being there. So. Uh -huh. You know, again, another song with with that swagger about something they really are not happy with. Yeah, you know, their uncomfortability, it, it really showed a lot in what they did and how they did things throughout yeah. their whole career. When you think about it, Tom Petty has always stayed Tom Petty, no yeah. matter where you put him, no, no matter where you go, there you are. He was right. that kind of a guy. You know, you had the Eagles out there in Los Angeles, you know, a lot of a lot of California bands back then, you know. Right. And they just literally, like you said, they stuck out, which wasn't the worst of things, but they also didn't fit in, which right. is, uh, which is. But it actually, you know, and again, it comes back to that underdog fighting against the system kind of thing, you know, so it really, again, gives them that swagger and, and that drive to those songs that really kind of rock out like Century City. Yeah. You know, we, um, you know, I was going to ask you when it comes to Tom Petty and we were discussing this, you know, do you do you think of Tom Petty when you think of like this album we're covering? Tremendous, iconic album. But I said to you, you know, did Tom Petty make it to the point, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, as an iconic band? Right. We're covering the album, but I, I wanted to share that with you. Throw that around well, a little bit. Yeah, you know, for me personally, they are. I just you know? love them. I mean, this is a band that had hit records in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and right. you know, even 2000s, the albums they released were still great albums. They weren't, you know, things have changed now, so you don't get as many radio hits for rock music, but the, the songwriting was still as good as it ever was. Yeah. So for me, they are, but are they the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, you know, those types of bands? No. Right. But I think they're on the level right below that. But, I, I, you know, it's kind of tough to rank bands. I, I've never been a huge fan of that. There's a show because I, you just made me smile because I'm thinking, you know, imagine the level, right? The second tier. And how would you fit in there? But you know how many great bands are in there. You just yeah. it, start it, right off T-Rex. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. I mean, there's so many bands that were so great that don't have oh. the volume of, you know, T-Rex has a, a, a bunch of popular pop songs or rock Just pop songs yeah. but they're not you know they're not the beatles or, no. or something like that no. but again that's where like with these awards and like the grammys and all those things rock and roll hall of fame i'm not i'm not super into those things because i don't think it's a competition you know it's like if you love tom petty that's great enjoy him you know he yeah you know he doesn't Ooh. have to be the best band of, uh. of all time or the greatest of all time I think there's a lot of value in in just uh, you know enjoying the music. You know, the whole thing is if they're enjoying the music and we're enjoying the music, it's a home run, right? Oh, yeah. I mean that literally. If you know what they're doing is giving them the spirit that they need and delivering it, and it shows. But you know what? We're gonna leave the rock and horror hall of fame right here with this. The Doobie Brothers. It took them how many years? To, so yeah. that says it all. Right. We'll leave it at that. All yeah. Right. So, and you know, the interesting thing is too, when you go see band and I still go to see a lot of bands and clubs live. And to me, like the big bands, sometimes their live performances, while they're usually good. Yeah. Sometimes they're, they're going through the motions when you huh. go to see the, these younger bands and the clubs and, you know, Webster hall in New York city or Irving Plaza, places like that, where it's, you know, a thousand, 2000 people tops, 
the energy is so different because they're really, you know, you, you get a vibe and people are really so close that they can see and hear the crowd. It makes a big difference for me personally. Oh, me too. You know, listen, you and I have been in every type of stadium and, you know, whatever it might be, we've been in every venue that can possibly be for a concert. Yeah, for you know, sure. So the best of the best. So uh, let's talk about Don't Do Me Like That. So this song, again, another great song. Tom Petty originally wanted to give this song to Jay Giles' band. That blows my mind, right? When you think about, <laughs> when you think about the, at that time, who the Jay, because the Jay Giles' band progressed in all different ways, but think about who they were then. It was Centerfold, you know, that, that's what, that was the Jay Giles' Centerfold years, freeze right. frame years. So... Yeah, I, I love that you brought that up because to me, I found that so interesting. I was an early on Jay Giles fan, and then they started to go extremely. They yeah, went, they got very poppy with that album, with the Centerfold album. They went MTV. They MTV'd yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah. they were. Well, you know, a lot of bands did that in the 80s. You know, yep. you saw that with Genesis. You saw that with Jay Giles. You, you know, there, there's a bunch of them that went from being kind of just straight ahead rock bands to video bands. And that's what Jay Giles yeah. became yeah. mostly because of, of girls in, in very little clothing, <laughs> you know, and those Listen, videos were a, a lot of fun worked. and a little sexy. And, you know, the songs were super catchy. Think about what we were saying. So it's an interesting, you know, we're not in the business. We're not doing it out there, but you know, you know, do you, when do you sell your soul? When do you not sell your soul? You know, as Ozzy would say, we sold our soul for rock and roll. Right. You know, right. so and he truly believed that sometimes, you know, that yeah. what he did was he gave up everything he ever had to become Ozzy Osbourne. But it's the same thing. So we were talking about you had a fight to get airplay on FM, which was huge. Right. And then when the 80s came, you had to have a video on MTV. Right. You know I mean, and that but, well, and and people nowadays who weren't around in the 80s don't realize that MTV broke a lot of bands. Bands oh. were bands careers were made by being on MTV. So it was oh, very yeah. influential, yeah. Huge, you know, getting that video. Well, everybody was watching. It was new, it was hot, it was powerful, right? So it went from getting on FM to getting on MTV, but it right. also it also made the music a little more that it had the song how to hit the video and the video how to meet the song a and lot of times the song became secondary you know and the and the so the song as long as the song was kind of catchy and you had some sexy girls and a funny video you were gonna have a hit on mtv you know yeah and that's funny what you just said had a hit on mtv yeah wow right so yeah things changed right this is what we were saying that in these years that we're talking about this album, a lot was going on. A lot of things were happening. Rock and roll was changing. It really was. So to get this album to where it got it is a great, great look at how they really did this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about uh, Don't Do Me Like That, when he wanted to give it, when Tom wanted to give it to Jay Giles, Jimmy Iovine freaked out and said, there's no way we're giving this song away. It's too good. So, yeah. you know, Jimmy Iovine, he knows his stuff. You know, he, he really, really is a, a good judge of, of uh, great songs. Um, that song was also the first single off the album and also their first top 10 hit, which is interesting. Now, but I'll they, share something on a personal point of view. Uh, always from Full House, the Jay Giles band, big fan, early Jay Giles, right? Mm -hmm. Right up to Love Stinks, loved it. Right. So to think about this, why it was such a fit, my favorite song is Don't Do Me Like That from Tom Petty. I love everything about it. And I didn't realize till I was going through all this stuff that, wow, no wonder they were giving it to the Jay Giles band. It probably would have been a perfect fit for them. It because, was, right? Because it, right? it had that swing, a little bit of groove to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I get it. And, and it's exactly how Jay Giles played. So mm -hmm. when you think about it, you know, what a great song, though. One of my favorites. Yeah. So Tom actually wrote that song with Mud Crutch, his band before the Heartbreakers. I love, I love that. In 1974. So it was a song that was around for, for a bit. Um, interesting thing about when they recorded it, they, they were using multiple mics on guitar amps. 
So usually you'll you'll have one amp, one mic on a guitar amp, and if you don't like it, you'll change out, get a different mic. They were using three different mics on 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 one amp, and so each microphone captures sound differently. So you're getting like slightly different sounds from each of these microphones, and they kind of use those and put them all together to create that uh, unique sound that you hear on this song. That's very cool. Yeah. Just the fact that each microphone records something completely different. Oh yeah, even if yeah. it's just off a little bit, it's great. Right? Yeah, microphones make great. a huge difference in 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 the uh, in their sound. Um, so let's talk about you. Tell me, this song is kind of one of those underrated songs. I really like it a lot. Yep. Again, to me, this is like funky Tom Petty. You know, we we talked last week about the funk and and I just love how... when you get into the funk. <laughs> I love the funk, but it's kind of that laid back. You know, it's kind of it's got that. It's almost like, hey, you you're leaning back when you hear this. You're, you know, you're you're jogging around with it. Um, so that song was actually the B side for Louisiana Rain, which was released as a single as well. Um, and it's it's not uh, it's not really a ballad, but it's definitely more laid back than you know the rock songs on this record. Uh, but I, it's a personal favorite of mine. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, taking this back to the influences, you know, Tom Petty has a tremendous respect for yesteryear. As a matter of fact, he loves the music of like the 1950s. So as much as he's a rock and roller, you know, if you've ever listened to him or if you listen to Tom Petty radio, the yeah. stuff he digs out that he says, here's something I I love this. And you're like, wow, that's the most obscure song I ever heard. Yeah, but he was he was in love. You know, not the 60s and the 70s that we know, the early 50s, that type of music really drove him to be who he became. And think about it. He is different than everybody else. And I think that's one of the challenges when I said, is this an iconic band? I think their attitude and behavior kept them down a little bit of just being this rosy colored band. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. Like they could have like leaned into it a little more into the whole rock star thing but they really never did right. they were just guys on stage with guitars and and yeah. drums and and keyboards it's all he ever wanted yeah for real um, and yep. uh, you know i got to see him uh about a year before he died and mm. uh still an amazing amazing performer yeah and with the whole catalog it was so impressive it was just hit after hit after hit um and just a great show Dude. so uh, We've we've uh, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of concerts. Truly, of all the most laid back rock and roll band I've ever seen live. Not that they're not tearing it up, but they're just like, hey everybody, hey. right? There's no dancing around, you know. Hey. There's no, you know, you don't see them smashing guitars or coming out. How you doing? You know? Right. It's just get hit it and go. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I like that. I like this part of the conversation. The fact that. You know, it, it was like just a comfortable place to go and listen to music, a Tom Petty concert. It really yeah. was. Yeah. Great. Uh, so next up, there's What Are You Doing In My Life? And, you know, not a lot to be said for this song from my point of view. It's another rock song. It's pretty yep. up-tempo and stuff. Yep. Um, not, I don't think it's a bad song. I don't think it's, the you know, the best song on the album. Yep. But, you know, Got it, it, it's, it's something you're going to tap your foot to when you hear it. Got a, got a lot of airplay. Yeah. Again, yeah. yeah. These songs, this album, back in those days, I can just remember it and think about it. A lot of FM, got a lot of airplay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then the closer is Louisiana Rain, which really is the album's ballad. It's it's uh, slow. It's kind of acoustic based. Um, they started off with some weird noises. Then there's a keyboard part yeah. that comes in and fades out. And then uh, the song really starts about one minute in when the acoustic guitar comes in and, and it's a gorgeous song. Um, and like I said before, they kind of, with the band, I guess it kind of fell out of favor for a while. They didn't, weren't playing it live, but then they started it again in the two thousands. People loved it and they brought it back into their, uh, into their set. Um, it's, uh, it's the gem on the album. It is. It's really, the a, hit, it's kind of the hidden me. gem, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. To me, I, cause like I said, we get to listen to this over and over and I, I couldn't get enough of that. You yeah, know, yeah. Really Great, and I'm a slide song. guitar guy, and you know Tom Petty broke out the slide on that. 
you know, so if I hear a slide, I'm hooked. It's I don't. It's a Johnny Winter thing, but you know. Yeah, but, the slide <laughs> might be Mike, I would think, but it might be I, Tom. I'm not sure who played it on there. Yeah, I, I think it was Petty played uh, slide. Oh, on okay, it. okay, yep. interesting. Hmm. There you go. So overall, this is you know for me, Tom Petty is a, a all time favorite band. I, I love this album. You know, I give it a plus for sure. Um, and you know, it's it's something that I've enjoyed since the seventies. <laughs> yeah, just just to, you know, from start to finish, put it on, listen to it. You know, can I give you a little something? I, I took a yeah. quote from I I gave you. I want to. Uh, are we going to wrap it up? We're getting to that. Yeah, point. We, yeah we're almost yeah. ready to wrap yeah. it up. Well, I want to give you a quote that I read from uh, Rolling Stone. Okay. You know, it, it, I thought it was so good, uh, explaining Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So it said. Tom Petty and the Heartbreak has made music that still befuddles critics, right? <laughs> Get this. They were too chill to be punk and too famous to be underdogs. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Too, I like too chill to be punk and too famous to be underdogs. Right. So in other words, they were playing the role of being the underdog. Their music was about me, but they got, they got so famous that the role kind of didn't fit. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Well, and they, you know, they're one of those bands that stayed in their pocket, you know, which is 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 can can be a little repetitive sometimes when you look at bands like uh, like an ACDC or Motorhead. Those bands never change sound ever. It's always ever. the same. Tom Petty's not like that in that extreme, but mm -hmm. they're definitely they're always in their zone. You know, they're not yeah. doing it. You don't usually hear there's some weird stuff they did in the eighties a little bit, but you know, nothing too crazy for the most part. They're, they're a straight ahead rock and roll band. They stay true to themselves. Yeah, for sure. Which is a beautiful thing. All right. Well, that's it for damn the torpedoes and don't hey. forget subscribe, listen on YouTube where you can see our video on YouTube. You got your audio on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google, wherever you get podcasts. So it would help us out if you subscribe and hope you enjoyed the, uh, this episode and we'll be back next week with another inside the album. All right. See you, Don. Uh -huh.